The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poor Ass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about tough shit on a budget and can we live sustainably on a budget. Today's guest is Jessica Irwin, and we're going to talk about life hacks from a military wife. She is a mom with two kids, two and five, currently living in Florida. And her husband is on active duty uh, in the military as a pilot. And how I know Jessica is we're Facebook friends. We are Facebook friends and we are both in the same sorority. She came in after or yeah, she came in after me. So I was already graduated a couple in a couple of years uh, at the Gamma Iota chapter at San Jose State. So I put out a Facebook post uh, uh, that I'm producing episodes and Jessica reached out to me and I really liked her story and I thought she would be good for the podcast and how her living, living as a wife, a military wife, how that lifestyle has prepared her for covid so, Jessica, let's hey. talk about it. Hi. Okay. How's it going? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy being, you know, all, I mean, the world is just crazy right now anyway. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think that the biggest thing is just, like, all of this uncertainty and how much anxiety gives all of us, like, day to day. Mm-hmm. Um And, you know, like with my friends, when we're talking about stuff, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen that, like James Franco meme, we're like, oh, is this your first time? (laughs) Um, That's kind of like how it feels as like a military spouse where you're just like, you constantly live in this world of total uncertainty every day where, you know, the military can just kind of like tell you, oh, hey, like you thought these were your plans. Well, guess what? you thought wrong um and you know like things like just turn uh, like the drop of a hat like we've gotten notice before that we've had to move from florida to california in like 72 hours you're like cool so we need to pack up all our house get everything in storage find a new place to live drive across the country um and yeah it's just like it's it's really crazy so um you know i think obviously covid is like a whole different kind of crazy but I'm a, a think on my feet kind of girl. So that's, you know, where, where we're starting at, at least with all of this, this craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would be your suggestions for those who maybe didn't have lifestyles where they were living in a lot of certainty? It was pretty, you know, this is, this experience is completely doing a 180 on people's on people's lives 
And so what would your be, what would your suggestions be as a military wife who has gone through, Hey, you're moving here. Oh, now you're going to move there. And now you're in COVID and this is their first time dealing with like uncertainty. Um, where you don't, I don't know if there's a light under the tunnel, like what, what would be your suggestions? I think, well, so one of the things that I do that I, I know like it drives my extended family crazy is I just like, don't think about the next bridge I have to cross until I cross the one that's right in front of me. I don't know that's hard for a lot of people because like, you know, you go to a job interview and they're like, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, and I, one, that's just like a ridiculous question to ask anybody because you know, you don't know, but you know, like, I'm like, okay, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. I know where I'd like to be, but I have no say in that whatsoever. And so like, for example, like right now, like our house is on the market, we're getting ready to move. We're preparing for my husband to get out of the military. But the next thing that I need to worry about is like figuring out what I'm going to do with my kids for school and like childcare. So like, I need to get over that bridge before I worry about the, like, how am I going to move my house bridge or like, are we going to be able to afford another house or am I going to have to find a different job? It's kind of like, and I know that's like almost like a self-preservation thing and maybe it's not the healthiest thing in the world to do, but when there's so many question marks, like you can only address the question that's immediately in front of you. Um, and not have, not like necessarily think about like the long-term consequences of that. One of the funny things about working in academia is that like, everybody is always like, oh, if I do this, like my career is going to be ruined. Like they feel like every single decision that they make is like potentially just going to like shatter their prospects of their career. Um, And I say that like in quotation marks, but really like, it's not like, it feels like that right now. Cause like everything's so crazy, but Mm -hmm. making decisions to like get through the day and to like survive and to get through the week is like perfectly acceptable. Um, and there, of course there's consequences to decisions, but really long-term stuff, like, you know, it's not going to be as necessarily like make or break as people think it might be. Um, kind of like with this school stuff, (laughs) like, you know, do you really remember what second grade was like? <laughs> you know, like I don't. Like, um, you know, I know that like when I was in first grade, I was like behind in reading. And then the next year I was in like a program to help me like get ahead. And then now as adult, which is like what we always worry about, right? Like what kind of job will they have? Like I'm an academic, like I have advanced degrees. Like it was okay that like for a year and a half, like I was behind my age group you know, like it'll be fine. So it's just kind of like everything isn't as bad as we think it is. And like, I don't want to dismiss like putting food on your table or paying your rent. Cause like those things are really scary, but, um, you know, there's that uncertainty, like you just cross each bridge as it comes to you and don't really worry about the next bridge and just try not to burn any of the bridges as you cross them <laughs> in case you have to backtrack, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we were having our pre pre-interview about this episode uh, you mentioned that you uh, have gone into a little bit more activism than you were doing previously because of of COVID and how has that affected your uh, career and and you're also an archaeologist so how does that play into your activism Yeah, it's, again, it's just, like, so unprecedented, like, in terms of what is happening. Um, One of the things that I've kind of had to do, like, through my career is really, like, examine, like, why I want to do what I want to do and then try to, like, creatively find solutions when I'm, like, job searching, you know, like, there's not archaeology jobs at every military base, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of also, like, played into my activism where, you know, as much as I want to be, like, at the protests and in the street or, you know, like I've done a lot of environmental work, like on the beach, picking up trash or out, you know, like I would love to be like out in the ocean, like fishing ghost nets out of like the Pacific. Um, But all that's just not possible right now. And so I was able to kind of like reach out to organizations that I like and support. And even though I can't necessarily offer them like financial support right now, 
um, offer them like capacity building support. And so, you know, we talked a little bit, like I've been working with the society of black archeologists and they're a pretty new organization and they're doing really cool stuff. Like their mission is to have a space for this really underrepresented group in archeology span to, you know, talk about stuff and to have support and to find mentors. And, you know, like archeology span is like, legit a bunch of old white dudes. Um, you know, there's not a lot of women, there's not a lot of people of color and which is crazy because when you think about archaeologists, you think of them studying and exploring minority groups, right? Like mm-hmm. working with native Americans or going down and working with like Mayan ruins and things like that. And so you would think there'd be more representation of those people there. Um, and so with that, with the society for black archaeologists, I was able to kind of reach out to them and just say, Hey, like, here's what I'm good at. Um, you know, like I'm good at organizing social media. I'm good at creating mailing lists. I'm good at migrating websites. I am good at nonprofit fundraising. Like, what do you need? Like, how can I help you? And to offer my expertise, like, you know, at no charge. And I know some people are like, oh, but like, if you're doing something, you should charge for whatever. But I don't, I just think that like, if I'm sitting here stuck at home and I have these skills, there's no reason that I can't offer them to a group who needs my support. Um, And especially with them, you know, in the middle of like COVID, we have this like crazy, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, like really taking off. So their membership just kind of exploded overnight. Mm, Um, And I think that's happened to quite a few organizations. And so saying like, Hey, can I help you with this? Or like, how can I support you with like managing your membership or your email list or your social media? Um, what advice can I give you just, you know, to offer support without asking for anything back because their organization and other organizations like them, you know, they're being bombarded with, Hey, can we get a diversity statement from you? Or like, Hey, can we get this from you? And people constantly asking from them because, you know, like now is the mint, then now is the moment instead of offering them support. Um, and like, you know, like it's exhausting and I'm sure that I know they're exhausted. Like they're amazing people and they do so much. Um, but like, you know, it's exhausting. And so me over here, like if my activism can just be like, can I take something off your plate for a little bit? Like, can I help you out? Can I make sure you're not spending the money that you're raising on consultants because I can do that for you for free? Um, mm. Is I just feel like that's what I can do. Like that's what I can contribute. Um, and, you know, even like mentoring people, like if you're like, yeah, hey, like, I have this experience or you want to have a sounding board or, you know, you're emotionally and mentally drained and you don't want to research what, you know, client resource management system is going to be the best for your organization. Like, let me take that off your plate. Like that's something small that I can do, but is, is helpful. Um, and I know that doesn't always like feel as good as like being out there with like the sign and, you know, yelling, but it's what we can, what I can do right now without putting my family at risk of, you know, health concerns. So. Yeah. You've meant, you've touched on something that I think it's important to talk about uh, two things, representation and inclusion in the sciences, especially with archeology span and archeology span that talks about, or, you know, the study of minority groups, the history, you know, the, you know, just going back thousands of years, tens of thousands of years on a culture of, of, of people. And if you don't have that representation and inclusion from the descendants, they're like, I, okay, here's, I'm not to get mystical, but I'm, I know the, the, the women on my mom's side, they're magical people. And I can't, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but like my mom is just really connected, like spiritually. She she always was, and um, I'm pretty sure that I've inherited from her and just like passed down on the women on my mom my mom's side. Like my great grandmother was a Jewish woman that practiced Santa Maria, like that type of family, and um, and you know being of Mexican descent, like. Yeah, I, I come from that culture and it's and it's passed down. Um, and what I've noticed, like with this patriarchy, it just has, you know, systematically like destroyed that 
to the point or, or disconnects you from it. And I feel this COVID has really, um, like disrupted so we can get back to our ancestral roots or, you know, have representation and inclusion in archaeology. So the descendants can connect. Um, do you feel yeah. that's, you know, the, do you feel with your activism and what the society of black archaeologists are, are doing or like reclaiming that? I think so. I think that's kind of the goal is to like reclaim that and to be part of the conversation. I think that for a really long time, um, archaeology and kind of cultural studies in general has been viewed as this like really non-essential, um, you know, thing. It's like, oh, that extra thing. And that's how it's been treated, which is why people with means are the people who go and pursue that because, you know, like you can't make a lot of money in archaeology. Like you're going to make like, you're going to top out if you're outside of academia at like $50,000 a year, like you're, there's just not money in it. So the people who go into it are like rich white kids who have an outside support system. Um, and then it like reinforces this like patriarchy and it reinforces like all these ideas of like, you know, white supremacy and white privilege. And it just kind of builds on each other, but really, you know, this time has kind of brought out like, archaeology can be a really like it could be a connecting factor if you actually work with the communities that you're researching instead of just take things out and I'm not talking about like physical objects like if you go into a community and you do a bunch of research and then you have the data and you have the oral histories and you have the maps and everything and then that sits in your office somewhere for 20 years and you never publish it and you never make it accessible to the people who live there whose lives it's possible like you're exploiting those people that's just mm, yeah what it comes down to yeah um so like the reason that I kind of found these the Society for Black Archaeologists is I did a lot of research on the transatlantic slave trade and there's this other group that I'm, I'm not involved with, but I admire, um, called youth diving with a purpose. And the whole idea is to take, you know, um, different kids from different backgrounds who are people of color and teach them how to scuba dive so that they can go out and see and research their own history. And that like gap of the transatlantic slave trade can be closed a a little bit, you know, I mean, obviously like there's this huge disconnect and it's like very traumatic. Um, but so that like they're, you know, like, you're a part of the conversation and that you can take ownership with it. And it's not even just them, you know, like there's native American objects all over the world and that, you know, people are like, Oh, it's art and it needs to be a museum and it needs to be preserved. But a lot of these objects weren't made to last forever. They weren't made as art. They were made as like funerary objects that were intended to be destroyed with the person that they were honoring when that person died or, mm. you know, like they're meant to only be used by certain individuals and having them in your house. Like it's great that in your brain, you think you're preserving them, but as like a curator or an archeologist, like when did it become up to me to decide what is important in other cultures? And so oh my, yes, uh. <laughs> that's where it's kind of like, you know, it's uh. starting to break down. And I think right now, Archaeologists love to be in the field. Like, I'm not going to lie. I didn't get into archaeology to sit behind a computer. Um, I like to be out there, like, climbing mountains, diving, like, digging in the dirt. Um, But taking our entire field, like, every archaeologist in the world, out of the field for a whole season, because we really can only, like, do work in the summertime, Mm -hmm. and making them sit down and reevaluate their collections and, like, reevaluate what they're doing in their work plan and, like, take a a harder look at themselves. Like, I think that's actually a good thing. You know, I think it's something that we've needed for a long time um, and that we shouldn't do any more excavation until we've really processed like the collections and the work that we've already done. Um, But that's just me and people call me preachy occasionally. So, you know, no. Yeah. I, uh I've been reading some articles that are coming out, like the dude who designed Mount Rushmore, uh, deeply racist, and it was expressed in blowing up, I'm just going to call you, blew up Mount Rushmore, which is, a, you know, um, a deeply important spiritual uh, site for the Native um, Native peoples that are in that, but no one gave a shit. 
no one gave a shit about them then. And it's just like now like coming out like, yeah, you know, that that was that rock was kind of important to us. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's, it's so sensitive. It's it's such a sensitive topic, even even for for me, what my ancestors have um, gone with, with, you know, conquistadors and all that good stuff and I mean I could literally talk about it all day long like I could go for hours on this stuff because (laughs) it's my passion like it's my field and Mm -hmm. I sit there and I witness it you know like I so like you know I'm I am a military spouse and I have had to move every couple years for the past like I've moved 10 times in 12 years and every time we move you know I have to find a new job and I have to do this and it's like okay going into this museum space oh here's this man who's running this museum. Okay. Going into this archeology span office, here's this man who's running this archeology span office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I have never been the person where I'm like, you know, I'm going to be married to the job. Like I love the job, but I also have my own life and I need to take care of myself and I can't be here 14 hours a day. And this be the only thing that there is. And for so long in archeology, span in my field, that is just how it is. It's like, you do this, you do this all day you do this until you retire. And I'm like, well, then what? And then you volunteer, (laughs) you know, you volunteer back in the same sites that you've been working at. Um, And so some of the people that I've worked with, like they're amazing and they're brilliant, but then they retire and it's like, okay, now what? Like now they're at home writing books about the work that they did for 20 years because they were the job. Like they don't have families or their families are live far away or, you know, like they just were the job. Um, And that's great if you're a person of independent means and you don't want to be a mom and mm-hmm. being married or having like, you know, your relationship is an priority. If that's what you choose to do, fine. But the fact that that's like the entire lineage mm-hmm. of my profession is kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Speaking of taking care of yourself, like how have you taken care of yourself personally, you know, even before COVID, and during? I think, you know, like the way I've been taking care of myself from before to during has totally is shifted. Um, and I find myself doing a lot more like zoning out <laughs> as like self-care where I'm just like letting myself like not have to do anything. Um, there, you know, like there's this kind of like pressure to like constantly be productive um, and so I'll like sit on the couch to watch a show and be like, well, I should be doing the dishes or I should be vacuuming or like I should be doing this laundry. And instead just being like, nope, it'll be there tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to watch two episodes of Doctor Who and no one can stop me or judge me. Um, and, you know, like I've been reading more um, and also giving my permi- myself permission to read stuff I actually like instead of things that I feel like I should be reading. Um so yeah, like I read the new Hunger Games book. Like I'm, you know, I wanted to read it. I know it's written for teenagers. Like they just don't care. I, you know, I wanted to do it. It was nice to read it. Um, and then I like, you know, like I've kind of dove back into some of my like old hobbies. Like I bust out the watercolors for the first time in like 10 years. And oh wow. Um, you know, but also like just sitting on the couch with my kids and watching them watch something. Like when I was a kid, I loved a little mermaid. And so watching my kids experience that movie is like exciting for me because like it's something I loved and I hope that they like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like kind of taking a step back to like not have to be rushing around as much to really like experience that part of them. Now, at the same time, like being home with them for months is also like horrible. Um, I love them, but you know, there's just no relief. So I have to be like, okay, I'm going to sit in this moment and be like, wow, my kids are getting along and they're so cute. And I'm so lucky because they're happy and they're healthy. And like, just really sitting, like experiencing moments, like a little bit more intentionally, um, instead of kind of like drop them off at school, get to work, get home, cook dinner, get them in the bed. Like, you know, like a little less of the runaround when we've had to like be in our house all together all the time. Mm-hmm. How, how are the kids doing during this time? You know, they're, they're young, they're two and five. And I was probably five or six during the, the height of AIDS in the mid, mid eighties and reflecting back, like as a six year old, I have vague, I have concept 
memories at that age of I I remember kindergarten as as a feeling, but I, I don't remember the feelings of of AIDS, you know, because I'm I'm six and I don't remember my parents ever letting me know that this was was going on and and didn't really become aware of it until we had like seventh seventh grade health class and we had an AIDS activist like come and talk to us about his experience and that was the first time I ever ever met like an AIDS per, um, a person with AIDS and like the impact that it had and it wasn't until like maybe much later until like the documentaries came out and like like fuck wow I did not realize the 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 level of trauma and, and grief of just like your entire friend on the personal level, like your all your friends dead. Like that must suck. Um so now I'm in a pandemic and I, um like I know people who have COVID and and I'm noticing the trend of of when it first happened, like I didn't know and everyone, but now we're like six months in and um I like you know, a person of a person of a person, like they know someone who like died of it. But now I know people with in my network who have have had it and um, they've they've survived. But um, it wasn't easy. So, you know, how are you as as a mom raising kids during during this time and, and what has worked for you? I mean, for them, I think that, like, my youngest is, like, oblivious, you know? Like, she's stoked just to be, like, with us all day, every day, right? Aww. Like, she doesn't have to go to daycare. She has to, like, <laughs> sit on her lap and, like, whatever. You know, she's she's pumped. Um, you know, like, I think that, like, my kids can definitely, like, feel the stress in the air. Like, I feel, like, I can see, like, their, the way they're acting out and, like, their behavior kind of is a little bit different because I, I know they feel the stress. Um, but my eldest she's just over it like she you know she Mm -hmm. sees it on the news she hears it on the radio we personally don't know anyone who has passed away as a result of COVID but we have you know a few friends that have had positive um but I think for her it's just kind of like her world stopped you know like the most tears that we've had is because like her ballet recital was canceled and she you know was Mm -hmm. really upset like she's a little kid she was super upset um we also have a friend who is her very, very good friend who, um, you know, she's like, has a lot of like health risks. She's a very, very high risk kid. Um, and they have been like full 100% completely locked down this entire time because like she has a heart condition, you know, like they know that if she were to get sick, it it would be very, it would be really bad. Um, and so trying to, I think that has actually made it a little bit more like understandable because there's like a personal to person contact there to say like, you know, we wear our masks because we love our friend and we wouldn't want her to get sick because, you know, that would be really scary for her. Um, and there was also a, like my, well, I was overheard a thing about how for, you know, for a while, like if you dropped your kid off at the hospital, they weren't letting you be with your kids. So like little kids, like four five, six year olds who were sick were like, in cancer treatment hospitals alone without their parents because they just didn't know like how contagious it was. Um, and so she was like, you know, I'm like, you know, if we have to go to the hospital, like you might have to be there by yourself. And she's like, without mom or dad. I'm like, yeah, without mom or dad. And, um, I think like, you know, bringing it like really like into that kind of like low, low level is how she knows that it's serious. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, She'll be like, mom, when can we go to the splash pad? I'm like, well, splash pad's closed, babe. She's like, when is this sickness going to be over? Like, <laughs> you know, she's just like, she's over it. And um, she's yeah. not alone in that. And like, I am sure like your listeners can like glean that I like lean pretty far to the left in the political <laughs> spectrum. Um, and we were listening to the radio and she's like, mom, I'm just so sick of the sickness. I'm so sick of Donald Trump and I'm so sick of this. And I'm so sick of that. <laughs> like, Aww. you know, she's just Aww. like, I get it. Like, I want to go to Disneyland too. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I would love to go on a vacation, but 
we had like a routine before this, you know, like we'd go to a museum that had a playground inside like once a month and we'd go to the splash pad and we'd go to this like really awesome kids park and all of that is gone. And so like, you know, they're sick of being home with us too. Like Barbies are only entertaining even for five-year-olds for so long. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, we're just trying to like keep their lives as like steady as possible and keep as much of their routine as we can. And, but yeah, I mean, everything's just like, shit show. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's a lot. There's we, you know, your personal self care, you know, being a mom, and then your marriage. So how, how has your married life been impacted like pre COVID and and after? Well, I mean, my married life is like so different, I feel like from like 99% of people out there, right? Because like, my husband's in the military. So we have had a lot of like crazy challenges as a married couple that most people never have to face. You know, like mm-hmm. he's been deployed multiple times. He's been deployed to combat. Um, you know, he's had to leave for long amounts of time. And there's always, we call it like the third person in our marriage and like the United States military, that is the other person in our marriage. And she, you know, what she says goes. So um, there's always been this like, you know, like a little bit more kind of like cognitive of problems as they come up and issues and things that we've had to overcome. Um, So surprisingly, COVID has actually kept my spouse home more, which is totally different because like we're normally, you know, at least every other month they're gone for like a week for training or, you know, whatever. Um, And the training schedules have changed and Um, but that is great. But also like, you know, we've definitely argued more than we were before just because like we're around each other more. Um, and we've kind of like for the first time in a really long time fallen into like a routine, which is a weird thing to say because normally like our life just doesn't allow for that. Um, so, you know, we like have watched whole series and with each other where we watch every episode and it's awesome because like, before like you know we're watching let's say like outlander together and then he has to leave for like two weeks and then i can't watch any episodes for two weeks <laughs> so i'm like <laughs> oh okay you know like I, and it's like a, you know it's like a, a test to be like did mm-hmm. you watch that episode without me <laughs> i uh, snuck i snuck <laughs> that's not funny yeah so like and actually getting to do that stuff and then you know we've um done like, I guess what all the millennials apparently are doing, I just read, which is like, you know, we like mixed old school cocktails, which we had never done before, um, <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's okay. Like, whatever. Like, I didn't know that I was ever going to want to learn how to make like an old fashioned, but now I guess I do. And it, I didn't like it. So <laughs> one sip with all that effort. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, like my husband has been making sourdough bread and, you know, like we've been cooking a lot more and I mean, it's nice to spend time together, but I think that like, you know, I was like also reading about how like divorce rates have just kind of like skyrocketed, Mm -hmm. um, during this time. And I imagine it's because like you're stuck with somebody and you can't run away from your problems. And, you know, like if you, your relationship isn't great, but you're like going to work every day and you have your friends that you meet up with for drinks and you have like all of this stuff outside of like just your house and just your relationship, like you can hide those things. But then when you're all stuck together, you have to face, you have to look a lot of those things in the face. And sometimes that's for the first time and, you know, they can become like insurmountable. And so for us, we've already done that, you know, like before, mm your husband leaves for deployment, you have to sit down and have a really frank conversation about like, what's going to happen if they die while they're gone. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what's that going to be like? And even like, you know, and it's morbid and we joke about it and we have like a lot of like running jokes and people think we're crazy because we, you know, have a pretty dark (laughs) sense of humor about it. Um, How how many conversations have you, the sit down, the death talk with your, with your husband since you guys have been married? Well, I think the first one is like when they make you fill out all the life insurance paperwork, they're like, mm-hmm. okay, what do you want to happen to your body? Like, who do you want money to go to? Who has the right to plan your funeral? Like, who do you, like, it goes down to like, who do you want to notify you? Like, who do you want to physically knock on your door and tell you? Like, do you want a priest there? Do you want, you know, like, 
do you want the to be notified by the CEO or like, you know, like it gets like really, really detailed. So that was yeah. like, we had been married for like, I don't know, like we'd been married for like a week when we had to have that conversation. Cause when wow. you put in, well, like when you submit your marriage license to the military and you're, it's like, you know, official, like they have to switch all that stuff over. It switches from like their parents to their spouse. And so like, mm. you have to have a conversation about it. Um, and I mean, I guess maybe you don't have to, but if you don't and something does happen, then like your whoever you left behind is going to have a lot of surprises like, waiting for them. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like, I think we had that conversation again. The first time he was deployed, I was pregnant. And so, you know, like what, how, if something were to happen, like, how did I want to talk about him with our child that he had potentially never met? And how did I want to like raise a kid by myself? And like, how was I going to be able to afford taking care of my kid on like one income? And, you know, who would I move with? And like, what kind of relationship would I, he like me to try to maintain with like his family and his friends and stuff, you know, like things like that. Um, and then the second deployment, you know, we only had my eldest daughter, but it was kind of like the same thing. Like, okay, like, you know, what do you want this to look like? If this were to happen, are, is your will in order? Is a power of attorney in order? Um, cause it's like, a, like even just like selling a car, if your husband is deployed, is like the hardest thing in the world because you have to have a bazillion pounds of paperwork. So like, imagine what that is like, if like you have to plan a funeral and transfer bank accounts and stuff. Um, so those conversations kind of like happen on a fairly regular basis, at least on the aviation side. Um, because they're in a, you know, a pretty high risk situation every single time they get in the airplane. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so we joke about it. Like, I don't think there's any really other way we could get through it. Like we just, you know, we joke about it. Like, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll get a condo on the beach. I'll get like a cabana boy. Like, it'll be great. (laughs) Um, you know, like if you don't laugh, you'll cry kind of thing. So, um, but in like COVID, like we've had those hard conversations before. And so when got when, you know, when they leave and you just talk to them on the phone for six months and they come back, you have to like relearn how to be married to each other every single time. Like if you've ever lived with like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other, um, you know, like when you move in together, there's like a period of like, Hey, you didn't put the toothpaste cap on or like I load the dishwasher like this or whatever. Mm. But you have to go through that every single time they come back, you know, Mm. because they're like just taking care of themselves. And so Mm -hmm. when they come back, you have to go through it again. Um, And I kind of feel like COVID is like that for a lot of people (laughs) where it's like, you're all of a sudden like really living in your house with your spouse again. And like, yeah, it was cute in your twenties when you had just like in a crappy apartment and it was just the two of you. But now it's like, you know, it's been, there's been a lot of time, like how, you know, how, how have you been addressing that? Um, but I mean, it doesn't change the fact that it still sucks. And like, I, you know, I still get mad at him for like leaving his boxers on the floor and stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're work, working it out, working it out. How, how did you meet your, your husband and was, was he already in the military when, when you met him? Or how did that love story happen? Um, he was actually in a fraternity at San Jose State. We met in college. Um, he wasn't a commissioned officer yet. He was like still in the ROTC phase when we mm. kind of started dating. Um, I had known him for a while, but I've never, this was his dream. Like his dream was to be a fighter pilot. Like that was his dream. Um, and so we like started dating in college, but it was always kind of like, well, we were going to break up because he was going to join the military. Um, and instead of breaking up, he proposed. So we got married. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, like before kids, it was a lot different. Like we, I got a lot, I got a lot of flack, um, from other military spouses. Cause like when he was in flight school, I was like, okay, cool. You're in Mississippi. Um, I don't want to live here. So I'm going to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I've taken like jobs and stuff that I'm like physically separated from him. So like I took a job in Virginia while he was in Florida for like, I was there for like, you know, five months doing an excavation there and, um, have kind of like traveled, like as he's training, knowing that like his schedule is so unpredictable. Like we literally don't know what his day is going to look like until the night before. And we haven't for 10 years, (laughs) you know? So like, I don't make plans dependent on him. I kind of make plans 
and then, you know, hopefully he can come or hopefully he can participate. And if he can't, that sucks. And if he can, that's great. But I try not to like put my like hopes on like, you know, cause things, things happen, things come up, jets break down, like schedules change, weather influences stuff. So it's like a constant day-to-day fluctuation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like now I'm just like, okay, whatever. Two hurricanes come in my direction. Sounds great. <laughs> I saw that. Oh, how are you doing? How how are you doing in in Florida? And and because Florida's a hot spot. Um, how you're how are you navigating that? I mean, this is gonna be like my like tenth hurricane, so like I'm like pro at it now. Um, <laughs> no, I like we like we prep early because like you know people get crazy, which is also a funny thing about COVID here. It's like the first couple weeks of it, everyone was acting like it was a hurricane. Like all the canned food was gone and people were acting like a hurricane was coming. I was like, y'all, like your refrigerator isn't going to break. Like, you know, the power's not going to go out. Like you just have to stay at home. Um, but, you know, like we have a camp stove and we buy extra water and we have canned food. And, you know, like we wait to see like if we need to evacuate or not. I've had to evacuate a couple of times uh, when we were in South Carolina, but that is actually like, the least of the worries of the day in this region of the world, I think it's cause like we go through it every year, you know, mm-hmm. like people, people know, like they know what to do. They know how to act. Um, and so it's just kind of like a wait and see game, which, mm-hmm. you know, we keep our like right eye on it a little bit and like make little plans. Like I filled up the gas tank today just in case, cause I don't want to wait in line for gas on Tuesday if we have to evacuate. So like little mm-hmm. stuff, but, um, yeah, that's like old tricks now. So if you ever move to the South, like just make a hurricane box and then you don't have to stress out about it. A hurricane box. And California was a earthquake, earthquake bag or earthquake um, box. How funny. Okay. Um, I'm on, let's see. What? What else have, um, oh, cause you mentioned, you mentioned you were getting flack from the other spouses for living an independent life. I would, I mean, it sounds like that. I mean, it's counter, it sounds counterintuitive, but from what you've told me that actually works like two independent people, like he has his dream of a, a fighter pilot and you have your interests, you know, it's not just about kids and marriage. Like what does Jessica like to do? You know, like you have your archeology, span like any other interests that's, that's, you know, speaking to you or, or, or calling, calling you and I have mean, others been inspired by your, your approach? I try to like help people as much as I can. Um, I don't know. It's weird. Cause you know, I like my husband wanted to be a pilot since he was like five. Right. And I've wanted to be an archeologist since I was five. So those, like, those are things that we were kind of like almost like single-mindedly pursuing for a long time. Um, but I actually started working in nonprofits and advocacy in high school. And I worked with um, the drug and alcohol abuse center. And I worked with something called the California youth council, which is like working with teenagers in drug and alcohol abuse situations Um, and so like that part of the work was like, you know, that was always something that I did and it's always something that I have done. Um, and it has made my like career a little bit more versatile because like I can kind of move back and forth between like a nonprofit position to an archeology span position to like a government position. So I can like trans, I can exist in a lot of different arenas. Um, and it's funny because I actually feel like if I had never joined a sorority, I would not have been prepared for military spouse life Um, because (laughs) there's just like something to be said for like navigating relationships with anybody, but like with other women where you're not necessarily like choosing the women that you're spending a lot of time like intimately with, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And when I say like I got a lot of flack about, working and being gone, it's because, you know, it's not anybody like necessarily being like malicious or being cruel, but just like not really understanding, like, you know, not everybody 
I actually think most people don't have like, I want to be this thing. Like I want to do this job. Um, and those of us who do, you know, like we experience a lot of rejection, like all the time, because if you, you know, like if you want to be an actor, you're going to hear way more no's than you hear yeses. You know, like if you oh, want to be an archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Joan you know. Rivers has said it the best. Like I saw her docu piece of work and, you know, Joan, like Joan Rivers of all, like Joan Rivers gets rejected. She's And she was like, this is, this is it, like 95% rejection and just, you know, prepare for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right, and Joan. So, yeah. Like if you're going to, like if you want something badly enough, you're going to hear way more no's than you hear yeses. And I think that it's like easy for a lot of people, like in relationships, if one person has that dream, right? Like if one person is like, I have this dream and the other person's like, I don't really care what I do. So it's not that they don't care, but it's like, you know, like I would be happy being an accountant or being a stay-at-home mom or, you know, being a teacher or something that's like a little bit more like universally available in terms of employment. Um, that kind of relationship, I think, works really well. And I think that's also like what ends up happening in the military is because like, if you want to be a pilot and that's what you're going to pursuing, pursuing or dating someone who wants to be an astrophysicist is probably not going to like work out, right? Because mm-hmm. you both have like big dreams. Um, and so I think that like the resistance I kind of got a lot of times was like people being like, yeah, okay, like, sure, whatever. Like I even remember on a Facebook group one time, someone was like, list your job. And I was like, I'm an underwater archaeologist. And someone I had met like five years before was like, good for you. When you first told me that you wanted to do that, I was like, this girl's crazy. There's no way that's ever going to work out. Like you cannot be married to someone in the military and have a niche career. Um, so like, I'm good for you that like, that's what you're doing. So, you know, like, I think that's kind of where it was. It wasn't that people were being mean. They just like would look at me and be like, you're, that's never going to happen. Um, so like, good luck with that. Or like, you're crazy or like, you know, And if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and you want to have 10 kids and like, that is what you want to do. Like you do it, like you go for it. Like, that's just not for me. Um, but because, you know, there's kind of like, it almost like it's typed, like people, you know, like you evolve and you make sacrifices for your relationship and everyone, that's like the commonality that we all have together. And then I'm over here like, yeah, but like, I'm not willing to sacrifice this or I'm not willing to sacrifice that then people are kind of like, cool, I don't really like whatever, then that's fine. But then there's also like, you know, if you're having a mommy meet up every day at Tuesday at 10, any working spouse is not going to be able to participate in that. If you're going to have coffee every like Friday at 2 PM, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to participate that I work. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But like, if you're hanging out with the same people every day, all the time, then there becomes like an in group and an out group um, and girl, women are women and we're not very kind to each other or as kind as we should be. Mm. So again, you know, sorority life kind of prepped me for that, like to just like brush it off and like have a, almost like a, a deeper understanding of, I don't have to like you, but I do have to have love for you. You know, like I don't have to be your friend, but I do mm-hmm. need to still support you. Um, and so, you know, it worked out, you know, (laughs) I'm just reflecting on my own, um, sorority experience and, you know, both of us came from the same, the same chapter, but, you know, our experiences could be slightly, slightly different. Um, you know, with the sign, the sign of the times we were talking about this, about like, right when I graduated, Facebook was still, was still a college only thing like in in Harvard and but it was just like coming out and it was like uh, something that the um, recruitment the sorority um, member v, the VPs of memberships at the various houses or as a concept at you know at the higher level like is social media a, a good recruitment? like tool like it, the conversations were just were just beginning whereas when I was coming and coming through the house and we were doing membership selection it was like if someone had a referral or we met them in person um we didn't know like and that's that's all we went off 
went, went off on in, in membership selection, but you came during the time where that was being used. Uh, did um, I get that right? I was kind of like, I was in like the transition time. So like I still mm-hmm. had to like wait in line outside of an office to get my college email address. Like it wasn't something uh. that like you got automatically assigned yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, yeah, I was still like in the transition time, but you know, like. Cause I graduated I, in 2002. When did you graduate? 2009. I, yeah. 2002, 2009. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think when I was at San Jose state, like the brand new dorms had just come opened mm. and like there was the number of students had like just jumped and it was because, you know, it was right before like the economy crashed. So there was just a, t- a ton more students, like the freshman classes were bigger and there was like more students there. And so, you know, with that, like the way that university works is like, you know, 80% of the students are commuters. And so the students who do live on campus end up kind of um, being attracted to like Greek life or to other, like those are the students who are involved in different student organizations. Um, and I had always like played sports and stuff. So like I was looking for that, like, okay, that group, like, you know, making friends, a sense of belonging. Um, but I feel like just, you know, now I like mentor girls at the local chapter here and everything. It's like, they do it all on their phone and every, they look at every girl's like Facebook profile and Instagram profile. And then, you know, this and that. And I'm like, it's hard enough to like navigate having a relationship with 50 other women. When you throw social media into it, it's just like a nightmare. (laughs) Like, I wish I didn't have to use social media for work. I really do. Like if I didn't have to use it for work on a day-to-day basis, I'd delete all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like COVID wouldn't feel as like crappy if we didn't have social media. Cause I like follow this woman who like, you know, she's in Croatia right now, like sitting on the beach. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I want to be in Croatia sitting on the beach, (laughs) but like, that's not responsible, but like, she's doing it. Why can't I, you know, we go back to these like really like, Uh, childish feelings of comparison and I mean I try not to and I've been to therapy and I I know all the things about not comparing yourself to other people um and if I could just delete all the apps off my phone that'd be great but unfortunately I need them for work so yeah yeah I know like my experience has definitely prepared 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 me for COVID and even recovery too I'm in I'm in recovery too being like affected by um, someone else's problem drinking and, and I'm doing some service and supporting like young, young people, young people who have been affected by someone else's drinking. And it, when I've interacted with young, young people seeking recovery, not, not from drugs and alcohol, but they're affected, they're affected by the problem drinker. And it's like, how, what content can you create um, in my own particular fellowship of recovery that can help, you know, connect, um, with young, with young people because pri- primarily the fellowship that I am in, it's an older, it's an older, it's an older demographic generally. And the type of content may or may not be so relate relatable if you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, mid twenties, even thirties. So, uh, you know, I'm making it fun, like creating recovery events. And that's what I was doing when I was in Kappa Delta. It was like fucking fun. Like we did our business. Like, don't get me wrong. Like we did our business. There was a great point effort that I had to maintain to be in the chapter and, and be at San Jose State as, as well. Um, but there are so many opportunities to serve, to be a leader, to participate. And it's the same with my recovery and the same message that I learned when I was at um, uh, Kappa Delta was you, you will get the more you put in to this experience, like the most you will get the most out of it. And that's the same that I'm doing with, with my recovery. Like I'm connected. I sponsor others. I go to my meetings. I'm in service. I'm on planning committees. And those, it was the same thing when I was in, in Kappa Delta where, yeah, that's what, that's what you do. And that's well, kind like, of like, you know, it's how you, it's how you build a community. You yeah. Know, like, 
I totally, you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I like miss having like this like really big friend group, right? Like college is like the only time in your life where you're going to like have like 300 friends and you're going to walk around campus and you're going to like see people that you know and be excited to see them. And then like you go and live in real life and like, yeah, maybe you run into somebody you go at the grocery store like once a month or something like, um, but the community that you build is like what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And so like for me, you know, like I volunteer with the chapter here um, in Florida as an advisor. I work with, you know, different nonprofit organizations and archaeological organizations to try to support them. Um, and then even with military spouses, like, you know, I show up to the things that I can show up to. Like I, you know, participate. I work to have relationships with these women and have playdates with our kids and like have a community around that. But like if I never showed up and I never tried and then I complain about, you know, oh, I don't have any friends or I don't have a community in the military, like that's on me because like I never showed up and I never tried. So it's totally like uh, you get into it, what you put out of it. Um, And you know, but then the other thing is like, if I didn't have that experience, understanding like why someone is acting the way that they're doing or like when someone's hurtful or when someone tries to leave you out or when people like, you know, try to cut you down by like what you're wearing or the way that you acted or something that's like so arbitrary. I don't know if I would, it would have taken me longer to build those, those tools and that like resistance to that. And then also like in archaeology, like the, just the constant rejection, <laughs> you know, like I've applied for hundreds of jobs and gotten those. And then yeses I've gotten have been great. Like they, you know, I've had really good experiences, but you know, like there is just like constant rejection. <laughs> so, you know. So what's, what's, what's next for you? We're coming, we're coming toward, towards the end and what, what is next for you and uh are you on twitter or instagram do you want people to find you or or yeah i mean i'm on um instagram at jessica the archaeologist and um same thing on twitter and hopefully i'll have my website up soon um and i kind of just like needed a place to like just vent out all the like life experiences and things that like I think about. Um, and if anyone cares, they're welcome to follow along or message me. Like I'm happy obviously to talk about it. Um, I took a position at Arizona state university. So eventually we'll be moving over to Arizona. Um, and everything other than that is kind of just like up in the air. You know, my husband was hoping to go to the airlines when he got out of the military. So obviously that's kind of like not the game plan. So, you know, we're just trying to figure it out, trying to come up with like creative solutions for him and maybe do some pivoting um, and all that stuff. And, you know, like I'm trying to work with organizations, but I'm also really looking forward to saying no to some stuff and giving myself like a little bit more free time once we move. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I still have big goals for myself and I'm ha- like trying to chip away at them. Like I would love to turn my research on transatlantic slave trade into a book. Um, so like that's in my someday box and that someday box, like I try to not let it overflow and I try to make sure that what I put in there is achievable, um, even if it takes me like 20 years to achieve. Um, and then, yeah, I'm looking forward to being back out West. That's like no humidity, <laughs> a little less bugs, maybe skip some of these hurricanes, trade them in for some dust storms or earthquakes. That'd be cool with that. Earthquakes <laughs> and fire <laughs> trade in for that. I mean, like there's no perfect place, right? Like, no. So I would prefer earthquakes to hurricanes. The surprise element, I feel like, is better than the, like, anticipation of its coming. So, Mm. (laughs) yeah. And for those who are listening, you can find me at my website, vcomedy.com, V-E-E-C-O-M-E-D-Y. I am also on Cameo. And if you would like a, a personal message from me, just go to Cameo under Veronica Porras and order a message, five bucks. 
and order a message, whatever, birthdays, roast. Hey, if you're unemployed and you need some encouragement, I can certainly do that as well. And also all on I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but go to my website and the links to my Twitter and Instagram are on there, vcomedy.com. Thanks everyone for listening to Jessica and I talk about life hacks from a military wife. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad we could connect. Yeah, well... Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.